Hello and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to reintroduce you now. Brad Kearns is a returning guest to our show. We interviewed him back on episode 24 in November of 2020. Brad is a New York Times bestselling author, Guinness World Record-setting professional speed golfer, formal national champion and top-ranked professional triathlete, and current third-ranked high jumper for his age in the entire world. He has written 20 books on diet, health, peak performance, and ancestral living. He is a popular speaker, retreat host, and is a major contributor to Primal Blueprint, along with former guest L. Russ and Mark Sisson. He is the host of the B-Rod podcast and the, life, and the creator of the Lifestyle Transformation Program called the MoFo Mission. His latest book is called Two Meals a Day, written with Mark Sisson. The two of them also wrote one of my favorite books, The Keto Reset Diet, back in 2017. Brad Kearns, welcome back to the show. Oh my gosh, what a fantastic intro, Casey. And <laughs> gosh, so much has happened since November 2020. We have all kinds of new, exciting things to talk about. So, okay, so that's exactly where I wanted to start with you. Um, I've got a piece of life wisdom advice. Being such a young whippersnapper yourself, I figure you could stand to use some life advice. Um, but sometimes in life, we get layups. I, I call them layups. Matthew McConaughey calls them green lights. It's just kind of areas in our life that we can find where we can kind of coast through. We don't have to push so hard. Everything's maybe done for us. And I found through podcasting, if you simply invite the same guest back on the show, you get a layup because your introduction <laughs> is already written. You just go back to that last introduction and pull it back out, use it again, and that part's done. And you get a layup. Well, that doesn't necessarily work for you, my friend. <laughs> you have accomplished way too much this last year. I had to rewrite the entire thing all over again. So you actually caused me more work. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I love that term. And I also uh, like to bring back recurring guests, especially ones that, that light me up and, and really uh, cause me to, to, to think deeply, uh, challenge my fixed and rigid beliefs, you know, maintain that open mind and think critically because just when we think we have things figured out, uh, then we're exposed to new information and advancing science. And uh, for, the, for me, this journey, you know, in the ancestral health scene and, and, and getting going with Mark Sisson, uh, we've been, now been writing books together for 13 years. And, um, you know, there's always something that's going to blindside you and slap you in the face just when you think you know it all and, and you have it all figured out. And so that's kind of the, that, that's where my head is at these days is trying to maintain an open mind and always try to be better and improve myself. And that might mean uh, departing from, you know, long time practices or tweaking them constantly. And I think uh, Mark's been really acclaimed for this guy who's willing to change his mind, even though he's one of the big leaders of the ancestral health scene. And we you know we've almost fielded almost zero criticism from people saying, hey, man, in your other book, you said that, you know, big uh, pile of vegetables were great. And now you're talking about this carnivore thing. What kind of, what kind of freak are you? You know, it's more likely that we get comments, people saying, I appreciate your, your, you know, your open-minded approach and your, your inclusive approach and, you know, putting it back to the individual for doing testing, refining, and, and, and going by personal experience and personal preference rather than uh, getting hit with dogma and, you know, heavy handedness, which I think we all have plenty of, we, we've been exposed to plenty of that every single day. And it's like enough already. Let's let people make decisions for themselves. Uh, but I'm also trying to walk that tightrope and also be someone who, you know, is encouraging uh, of 
putting some rules and guidelines and standards and some accountability in place because we're such free wheelers now. We have co- incredible opportunity for nonstop entertainment, distraction, indulgence, luxury, decadence. And it's getting to be a little disturbing, especially when we look at the disease patterns of the modern human and the escalating rates of type two diabetes. My friend, Doug McGuff, who wrote Body by Science. Amazing, and, he's amazing. You know, g- great, you know, leader in the fitness scene as well as being an actual emergency room physician dealing with real people every single day. And I love people who are out there on the front lines and can also, you know, work in theory and and science and all that. And so I listened to what he has to say. And one of the stats that he cited uh, in the book Primal Primal Prescription that he co-wrote was that if the the rate of type 2 diabetes continues at its current uh, track, it will bankrupt the United States Treasury by the year 2060 uh, because the cost of caring for a type 2 diabetic is so high and we can keep these people alive for so long now with the drugs and the treatments and the interventions that are extremely expensive. So, you know, you're going to get diabetes and live for another 10, 20, 30, 40 years, unlike however long ago when, you know, that was a pretty much of a, a death sentence. And so that's a little harrowing that if we don't turn the corner and make some sweeping societal changes, we're going to be brought down by uh, by health and, I mean, uh, disease and dysfunction. So, wow. you know, I want to be someone who's skating free of that and kind of uh, looking looking elsewhere besides just following the beaten path into disease and accelerated decline. Wow. And that book was written a few years ago, right? Didn't that come out in like 18 or 19? I mean, it, it, it's um, maybe even older than that. So, you know, who knows how we're doing since that stat oh, was thrown out there. Oh my God. Yeah. Way worse. Like 2020, like everybody just went way backwards. Like, yeah, that's an insane statistic. And it's certainly something we can see all around us. I, I want to talk about some of your recent fitness journeys. You have always been in tremendous shape and have taken care of yourself. And you are starting to focus a little bit more now on not just being good or great, but being optimal. And I would love to hear about your journey into optimal. And boy, you're looking as lean and shredded as I've ever seen you. Pretty cool. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, it's um, it's been a real life journey. And those who enjoy my p- podcast, the B Rad Podcast, you can search for an episode called "The Fatty Popcorn Boy Saga" uh, that I recorded a while back, and I was talking about myself and realizing that. Uh, you know, the, these wonderful habits and uh, the, the celebrations and, and behavior patterns uh, can easily turn into habit. And for me, it was making this evening bowl of popcorn, which I started to make. I think we were on vacation with family and everyone loved how I drizzled the, uh, the, the lemon flavored olive oil on top of all the mm-hmm. melted butter and the salt. And it's, it turned from a treat or a celebration to, Hey, I think I'll make some more tonight. Hey, I think I'll make some more the next (laughs) night. And so it turned into like a fixture, uh, a post dinner binge. And when I get a bowl of popcorn in front of me and I've denied myself, you know, such indulgences for many years, Oh my gosh, I I just stuff it down my face. I can't stop. And so I stepped on the scale one day and I saw a number that I'd never seen in my life. I think it was 172 pounds. And I, I always consider myself, you know, I look at my driver's license. I think it says 160. 
65, which I've been for, you know, 25 or 30 years without fail. And it's like, wait a second, this is not me. What's going on here? And so the fatty popcorn boy had to kind of uh, do some immersive journalism, all the stuff I'm talking about and, and blabbing about in the books and the articles about losing weight and uh, making good decisions with your diet. And so I had to become that guy who had to turn the corner and get rid of some of these uh, slippery slope habits, especially the consumption of hyperpalatable food. Rob Wolf talks about this so nicely where um, these uh, combination foods where you're combining uh, sugar, salt, and fat and popcorn is a very good example. So is ice cream, cheesecake, you know, all the real treat stuff. When we do that, we kind of hijack the pleasure center, the dopamine receptors in the brain, such that these foods literally become addictive. You can't stop eating them because they're so delicious. Uh, you probably know Dr. Ted Naiman, co-author of the, the protein to energy ratio diet, the PE diet. He's talking about how what's really happening when we overindulge on these, tre uh, on these treat foods is that it's a futile attempt by the brain to get the true nourishment that it actually craves, which mainly is protein because protein is that survival necessity. We need to get enough protein or we're going to be, you know, we're going to waste away and die. And so we have a very, very strong human craving to obtain our daily protein requirements. Most people have no problem with that, right? But the, the, the problem comes when we need to consume 3,000 calories of junk just to extract the 147 grams of protein that's wow. going to help us survive and thrive. So when you have this high protein to total energy ratio diet, in other words, you're sitting down and you're having uh, a delicious five-egg omelet in the morning, or you're making a, a protein smoothie if you're an athlete, and then you're having a delicious steak and you're eating the organ meats and the nose to tail and the bone broth, you are so satisfied and you're getting all your basic survival and performance and recovery needs met that you're not going to you know, need to stuff your face with popcorn. And so it was a nice recalibration to realize that when we can emphasize the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet and have those as the centerpiece of our diet, it's really going to keep us in line and we're going to back into, we're going to naturally back into optimal caloric intake, uh, reaching and maintaining ideal body composition. And I think a simple takeaway insight is uh, someone could think about, have you ever overdosed on an omelet, you know, like, uh, or, or gee, I had two delicious steaks. I think I'll have a third. It doesn't really work that way because the brain's like, oh my gosh, no, I'm, I'm completely satisfied. But we can all reference times when we had the double scoop of ice cream and then we go back and get two more scoops or whatever's <laughs> going on. So that, that's that been a fun journey for me talking about um, some current events and current status. And I, I did put a post on Instagram uh, showing, hey, look, I, you know, I was able to change my body in a short time. And hopefully that's motivational and inspirational and uh, no one's going to criticize me for showing too much skin because I think uh, we also have some, you know, posturing and, and and promoting and pandering, which I'm, you know, kind of distasteful of, uh, especially coming from the, the world of real athletics where I'm a competitor. I've always been a competitor. And so this stuff is all calibrated toward peak performance rather than glitz and glamour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting. I started my carnivore, um, experiment, you know, 30 day experiment in April of 2019. If I felt so good, I forgot to stop. <laughs> so I just kept doing it. And when the pandemic hit, I started to allow more, um, 
flexibility in my diet. So buns were back on burgers, buns were back on brats. I would have like a pie every now and again if I wanted one. Just kind of got a little bit relaxed and stopped feeling as good as I was before. So earlier this year, I went back onto a more strict diet. And and there is such a difference between feeling good or even feeling great versus feeling optimal. The, your energy is so different. And even just this weekend, like I've been pretty strict for the last few weeks, but this last weekend, I consciously decided I'm going to buy a pie. I really like apple pies. I'm going to buy this. <laughs> I'm not going to feel great. I know my sleep's going to suck. I, you know, I, I know what I'm getting myself into, but Brad, like even that was a disaster. Like I didn't sleep at all. I sweated the entire night the next morning. Like I, I was like full of anxiety. It was nuts. It's crazy. It's just not worth it. And so I just want to ask you like, like for you, why do you choose to, to make the sacrifices that you need to make to feel optimal? And are those trade-offs worth it? Oh my gosh. What a great story and question. I'm, I'm kind of just reflecting on, on your pie story and also the, the struggle that we all face to keep things in line because the temptation is tremendous. Uh, the instant gratification, the payoff from, from downing that pie is also you know pretty strong. But I, I do think we have to have that overall reflection like you just related that uh, you know it, it isn't really worth it when you think about the, the adverse effects. Now, I can already hear the, the comeback stories, the naysayers saying that, you know, I have a, a slice of pie and I don't feel anything. And I think what happens is we get so habituated to bad habits that that becomes our normal. And so people waking up feeling kind of crappy and stumbling around and, and getting a cup of coffee, that's just a normal morning and they don't think anything of it uh, as opposed to thinking, you know, uh, our, our genetics and our hormonal processes and our circadian rhythms are really powerfully calibrated such that we are supposed to wake up near sunrise and feel alert and energetic. We're supposed to have a desirable spike of cortisol, serotonin, uh, dropping the, the sleepiness uh, hormones like adenosine and, and melatonin. And we're supposed to feel awesome every single morning without fail because we have to get up and go. We're humans. We're going to go hunt for our food or, or build shelter, right? In, in the ancestral example. And so if we can kind of uh, step aside from cultural trends that are unhealthy and, you know, so permeated that we think it's normal and, and think of something better and think that we deserve better. That's when we can open ourselves up to, uh, to, to more potential and then more adherence to, uh, you know, the, the rules and restrictions and guidelines that we put in place, but that getting going and, and building that momentum out of the gate is a really tough one. And I talk about this with my wife a lot where, um, until people are ready to receive the message, boy, you're going to be wasting your breath. And mm -hmm. so listeners to the show, I appreciate you guys listening in. If you haven't turned us off yet, we're on a good track here. We're going to have some really valuable information that hopefully you'll take and, and get pumped up and, and go to town. Uh, but until that time comes where the person is saying, you know what? I want to make a change. I deserve to make a change. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm willing and open and ready to, to, to make the commitments necessary. Uh, if you don't have that full buy-in, you're going to have a really, really tough time. And these foods and behaviors are going to leak back into the picture. Uh, one of my examples I, I'm just thinking of now is um, watching the, uh, the shows in the evening. And I, I don't watch much TV, but once we lock into a really good show on Netflix or whatever, it's like, wow, that was really great. And here it says the episode is playing in nine seconds, eight, seven, six, and then here <laughs> comes a new show. And so, you know, maybe we'll binge on, uh, I, I don't know, 
if we've ever been more than three shows, uh, but you know, let's say we binge on a couple shows and I will literally at the end of the second show, when it's bedtime, I will jump up and race to get that remote control in my hand and push the power off button. Because I know <laughs> that if you take me nine seconds into the next episode, I'm going to be like, okay, we'll watch for five more minutes. Uh, maybe, maybe after this scene. Okay. Maybe some more. And it's kind of a cute example of the way that we kind of drift away from our good intentions, like getting to bed at a certain time because the, the, the power, the cultural influence is so, so strong. And, um, uh, Tristan Harris, director of the Center for Humane Technology. Uh, this is an interesting website to hit because they're talking about just how alluring and addictive uh, social media is. And it's designed that way to, to draw you in because these uh, these companies that, that put out the, the the apps and the platforms, that's how they make money. They want to suck you in for as long as possible. And so we have to exert tremendous discipline to put our mobile devices away and engage in the dinnertime conversation with the real life humans that we're there with or on the hike or the walk that we're taking. And, you know, technology and advancement of society is great, but I am seeing, especially at my age, when I lived half my life uh, without mobile technology and without the internet, boy, it's really different times now where this stuff is constantly hitting our brains and it takes so much discipline just to get some freaking work done rather than hitting over to YouTube and watching high jump instruction videos or Olympic highlights. Mm. And one would argue like most people are not going to YouTube for those videos. That's at least a helpful pursuit <laughs> of some kind. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, just turning off the notifications on my phone for social media has been a really powerful way to reduce my time because otherwise I'll just start doom scrolling Twitter and like get pissed off at everybody for no reason. So stupid. Um, <laughs> so dumb. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Um, you're always working on stuff and improving and refining. Like you said earlier, I'm curious to know what are some of the latest techniques you've been able to leverage um, with yourself, with the people you coach, um, you know, for things like performance and fat loss and, mo and what most people are kind of chasing um, as, as far as optimizing their own health and fitness. Well, we can talk about those two separate things, performance and then fat loss, and maybe performance first, because what's come to mind for me and is really a work in progress, a challenge, I'm still not executing this beautifully, but I'm trying to back off a notch you know, a couple, a couple ticks on the volume meter, uh, when I go and perform my explosive high intensity workouts, because what I've noticed is my competitive nature and my excitement and my enthusiasm for pushing my body and challenging my body with an awesome workout, uh, you can easily overdo it, especially when it comes to high intensity. And this is a big concern because what I see generally in the fitness world is this, uh, this, this flawed approach whereby it's either someone doing a whole ton of cardio that's slightly too stressful and, and too difficult to really be a true fat-burning, health-building approach, or people are immersed into the, uh, you know, the, the high-performance world where they're going to boot camp uh, and, and spin class and step class and uh, joining CrossFit and doing three or four sessions a week. And so these people are, are getting really fit, but a lot of times 
it's coming at uh, the expense of their general overall health because the workout patterns are too stressful. So when we perform high intensity exercise, really the best response hormonally and with fitness progress that you're going to get is to keep these workouts very short in duration and very explosive and powerful with excellent technique and explosiveness throughout every single thing that you're doing in every set of the workout. But we're more accustomed to these uh, struggle and suffer type of sessions where we go and go and go and you know the, the, the latter 15 minutes of an hour long strenuous uh, boot camp class, everything's falling apart and you're just trying to hold it together and you end the workout feeling depleted, fatigued, exhausted. You're going nine to 12 hours later for the pint of Ben and Jerry's in the freezer. Uh, you're waking up the next day feeling stiff and sore. And all these things are in indications that you pushed your body too hard. You stressed your body too much with that well-intentioned workout where you're thinking you're trying to get fit. You're trying to dig deep. You don't want to be a wuss and, and leave the class at halfway. But by and large, I'm going to state that if everything uh, of that type of workout that I described, if they were all cut in half, we'd all be better off. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to cut that workout duration in half, that means when I see you going hard, you're, you know, you're, you're hitting it to the point where you're getting maximum explosive potential out of the body. And that's when you get the best hormonal response. That's when you get the best fitness response is when, you know, you ask your body to perform maximum effort and then give it a lot of rest and recovery uh, in between these uh, special types of workouts. And also, in between the uh, the reps or the the sets in the workout and so when i go out there and sprint what i've been doing for uh you know 13 years was not resting enough in between my explosive sprints because i'm such a badass i'm an endurance athlete i have this background in triathlon i can recover really quickly i can suck it up i can go back on the starting line and do another rep and another rep and everything feels great when i'm out there doing it and then what happens 12 hours later, 24 to 36 hours later, uh, you know, I'm at work the next afternoon. I feel like, hell, I have to crash out for a nap. And, you know, it's like the pieces have fallen apart after I did this wonderful, amazing session where I got all the, uh, all the winning shots for, for my Instagram uh, video post. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm kind of talking to maybe a small sliver of the overall fitness audience, but it's actually bigger than we think. Because if you think of all the CrossFit enthusiasts all the people that are devotedly going to uh, the, the high energy, high intensity workouts in the gym, I think we can all do better to shorten it up and then be more explosive and always exhibit perfect technique. So I, mean, I know I'm talking a lot about this, but like when you're out there performing a sprint or performing a set of kettlebell swings for 10 seconds on and a minute off or whatever, when you start to notice your form compromised even slightly, your explosiveness go down even a tiny bit that is time to end the workout. And that's when you will recover more quickly. And over time, you will build a, a better fitness base and you'll, you'll reach your goals better if you can just take care of yourself a little bit more rather than you know torturing yourself with this flawed ethos that we see in fitness of struggle and suffer to get fit. Mm. I mean, you've already mentioned him in this discussion. Dr. Doug McGuff in the book Body by Science did such an amazing job with that message. Like, yeah, you should lift heavy weights, but no, you do not need to go to the gym five days a week for an hour and a half to be able to get results. It's all about that hormonal response. You're absolutely right. I mean, is this what you um, have referred to as micro workouts um, in the past? Like just a really short duration and just really paying attention to form and when that breaks down? 
Uh, well, that's a really uh, complementary strategy to honor this ideal that you don't want to crush yourself in the name of uh, pursuing fitness and, and re- meeting your fitness goals. So if we're talking about a structured workout, um, I want to see all those workouts cut in half and, and you know, being really high quality. So when I'm going to the track, you know, a, a world-class Olympic high jumper is probably going to take 12 uh, full approach jumps at the most in a workout, but, uh, Brad Kearns old guy in the gray hair division, I usually take like 20 because I want to get it right. And I might be frustrated. And, you know, on the 17th one, it was almost there, but I'm going to go take three more, even though I'm getting tired and I'm doing too much. And so that's where I really have to discipline myself to say, Hey man, leave some in the tank for next time. And you'll be much better off than going and doing the 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th full, Mm. full approach to the high jump. Um, so that's, that's the description of an optimal, formal, proper workout. But then you mentioned this term micro workouts, which is the idea that you can sprinkle in brief bursts of explosive effort uh, just in the course of everyday life. And as a great, great idea, great way to take a break from prolonged periods of stillness. Uh, so I have some cool videos. You can search like Brad Kurd's micro workouts on YouTube where I'm showing like, hey, guess what? There's a pull-up bar hanging over uh, the entryway to my closet. And so my rule is during the day, if I have to go in uh, to the supply shelf and get another uh, stack of Post-it notes, I'll haul off one set of pull-ups. No big deal. It's not going to hurt my big uh, workout that's planned for tomorrow. Or it's not going to impede my recovery from the previous day, but I will sprinkle in uh, a set of pull-ups here and there. And as the weeks and the months progress, it makes me a more fitter, uh, more resilient human because part of my day features these little tidbits that certainly don't fatigue me. They're certainly not in the danger zone of you know a workout that lasts too long and you did too many sets of pull-ups and then you hurt your elbow, which has happened to me uh, several times. Yeah. And so that's where I like to position that is like, go a, a little kinder kinder and gentler on your formal workouts, and then sprinkle in some micro workouts that will actually make you uh, more resilient for the times when you do head to the gym or, or go out there and do something serious. My favorite example is if you're even in a cubicle and you don't have much room or many implements around, you don't have the pull-up bar that Brad mentions, just go down and do a set of 20 deep squats. And then get right back to work. It's not gonna, it's not gonna uh, ruin your your daily schedule and uh, set you behind with your work tasks. And guess what? Even if you're a fit person, when you get up to 16, 17, 18, 19, you're gonna start breathing heavy, and you're gonna put your muscles under duress. And that's exactly what uh, McGuff's book is talking about. I think the subtitle says something like, "Get really fit on on uh, 12 minutes a week of working out." And he's showing actual research, actual science that, you know, an explosive, really challenging session lasting only for minutes will pay greater fitness dividend than going to the Stairmaster at the gym and watching TV for 45 minutes where you're, you know, exercising in this moderate zone where you think the, you know, the calorie burning is helping you uh, or, or something that's, you know, doing a wonderful fitness benefit if you can put in enough hours and it doesn't really do much in terms of the main goals that people have, like uh, dropping excess body fat and, and getting fitter and stronger. 
mm. it's just, it's so pragmatic and practical. I mean, I, I notice that like on my morning walks, if I just go outside of my morning walks, there's pull-up bars, monkey bars everywhere. And it's real easy just to throw in one set and just continue the walk. It's not a big deal. Um, I'm, I'm very curious. Um, you made me think of your past as an endurance athlete and we all know, you know, the blocks of endurance um, you know, training that you have to do and all the cycles that you have to do. And it's usually a very, very high volume, lots of miles, lots of time on the bike, on the run. How, if you had to coach an endurance athlete today, let's just say for triathlon, how would you coach them differently now than back when you were training and being coached by others? Right. Yeah. Knowing what we know now, uh, <laughs> the first thing that I would do and I do all the time is be a wise ass because people will hit me up and say, Hey, I'm training for this marathon. And I'm wondering if you can give me some suggestions. And my first suggestion is why not make it a half marathon and call that your marathon? Uh, back to my theme of cutting all the workouts in half. If the world cut the term marathon in half, so the true marathon was 13.1 miles, that's plenty. I mean, what more do you need? That's a super ass long way to run. And it's an incredible physical achievement to be able to complete a 13 mile run, especially in today's day and age where, you know, a 1.3 mile effort seems to be, you know, people don't want to park that far away when they're, when they're going to the, the football game to, you know, sit there for four hours and, and jump up and down. And yeah, so uh, the, the socialization and the marketing message that these extreme endurance events represent athletic excellence and, and tremendous achievement, I want to second guess those for a moment. Same with the Ironman. The Ironman is a ridiculous, uh, you know, it started as a bet between drunk Navy guys uh, of which was the <laughs> toughest event in Hawaii, the 2.4 mile uh, rough water swim, the bike around the island event, which was 112 or the Honolulu Marathon, 26 miles, and they put them all together. And then, you know, this momentum of, uh, you know, history and, and tradition. Now the Ironman is represented as the ultimate triathlon accomplishment. But most people are just uh, walking and shuffling along for 26 miles. It's like, why not race a sprint distance triathlon where you swim, you know, uh, 500 meters, you bike really fast for 12 miles and you get off and run three miles and you're actually racing neck and neck uh, with that guy in the blue suit that you've seen at the health club and you want to kick his ass in the final sprint. I mean, that's a race, that's a competitive event. And the other thing is more like a suffer fest. And I'm, I, I know I'm sounding critical and no offense to those people who are captivated by participating in the Ironman, uh, but let's take out the corporate hype and, you know, look and see something that's more reasonable and sensible for your own life and the three kids that you're raising and coaching soccer and maybe, uh, you know, recalibrate your goals to be more appropriate. And just as an aside, before I answer the question about how would you train for endurance, because there is a good way to do it. Um, what I've done in my own life is try to align my athletic goals and evolve my athletic goals to be more of a better fit to my lifestyle responsibilities, my age, and my you know most overpowering goal of longevity and aging gracefully rather than accelerating the aging process. So when I was a pro and traveling around the world and and training like crazy and competing on the triathlon circuit, I was uh, you know accelerating the aging process dramatically. I, I did it for nine years and I probably aged you know fifteen to seventeen years 
in that biological sense where I became an old man from doing crazy stuff between the ages of 20 to 30. And so now I'm trying to unwind and reverse that damage and do things that will help me transition through my fifties decade and my sixties decade and my seventies decade, you know, more gracefully and maintaining explosiveness, muscle mass, immune function, all those things that uh, you lose when you're going to the extremes with endurance training. Okay. So if someone insists and uh, I, I like using that word, if someone insists on doing a marathon or doing the Ironman, there is a way to do it in a healthy manner. Uh, the primal endurance book and online course talks about it in detail. I mean, that's the centerpiece theme is like, look, if you guys insist on doing this, then we're going to tell you how to do it right. And I think the main one is that you want to emphasize uh, aerobic development with workouts that are very comfortably paced relative to what we see most people doing in training when they're preparing for marathon, ultra distance, triathlon. And so everyone needs to slow the ass down and kind of model what we see with the elite athletes of the world. Uh, the elite athletes in many ways train relatively less stressful manner than the average recreational enthusiast. Yes, they're going much faster. Yes, they're doing more mileage. Uh, but for an elite, an easy 10-mile run at six-minute pace would be the equivalent if you want to do it metabolically or by heart rate or you know heart rate percentage of maximum, uh, amount of lactate developing in the bloodstream, whatever, uh, that would be the equivalent of the average person going out and doing uh, a two or three-mile jog walk. But most people think that's uh, worthless, and so they're going to go do an easy six-mile run on their easy day after their hard 20-mile run, and everything is way more stressful because they're not in an elite condition, and these things take their toll. And so, um, you know, going out there and, and jogging six miles, that's a, a very difficult physical achievement that requires recovery. It's going to stress your body, especially if you're exceeding the proper aerobic limit of your heart rate, uh, which Dr. Phil Maffetone is the leader on this message. Awesome. And the calculation is 180 minus your age in beats per minute. And the vast majority of your cardiovascular exercise should be at or below or well below that number. Uh, but unfortunately, people will put on their first heart rate monitor or get their uh, smart watch and be heading down the street going, well, I feel fine, uh, even though my heart rate says 147, so I'm just going to carry on. But what's happening is that is ceases to be a predominantly fat burning workout and you have drifted into the uh, the intensity zones that burn a greater and greater percentage of glucose and a lower percentage of fat as you exceed this magic number of 180 minus your age. And so it's kind of frustrating because it means you really got to slow down. You might turn into a jog walk rather than a jog and think, you know, gee, I, I'm not as fit as I thought, but this is the true way to develop your aerobic system so that you can perform comfortably and last for a long period of time in an endurance competition or endurance training session uh, without falling apart and, and getting exhausted, fatigued, burnt out, and notably uh, going over and developing a strong craving for dietary carbohydrates to replenish your depleted energy levels and your depleted glycogen from workouts that are too stressful. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's so well said. I, I couldn't agree more. I used a metabolic cart for over a decade in my career, and we would validate that all the time. The fat burning heart rate zones and where they are is normally way lower than where most people are training. And I think that's so so interesting. So interesting about the story of, of how Ironman started. I didn't know any of that. And as a cyclist, I would just submit that a triathlon is really just a cycling shit sandwich. Lose the swim, <laughs> lose the run, go grab your bike and have a blast. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's not a bad idea, man. <laughs> uh, well, um, you've already kind of mentioned, you know, waking up in the morning and having a lot of energy and being alert. And I want to talk about your morning routine. In fact, we can even start by talking about your morning routine by leaving off where you left off a good night's sleep. And so part of that is getting electronics off and getting to bed at a certain time. But what, what kind of other things help you set up a good morning? And, and what is your routine once you wake up and uh, start your day? Oh boy, I am so excited to talk about this because it really has been something for me that's been life-changing. And what happened was uh, now it's four and a half years I have this streak. I have not missed a single day and I've performed this elaborate uh, mobility, flexibility, core and leg strengthening routine every morning, uh, first thing upon awakening. And I designed it because I was noticing back to those sprint workouts that were a little too stressful was, you know, I'd rest and recover and prepare for these great sessions. And I'd go out there and do it once a week or once every 10 days. And then afterward, uh, I'd be stiff, I'd be sore, I'd be tired. And one of the reasons was the workout was too stressful, like I described. And the other one was that nothing approximated that in the rest of my weekly schedule. So uh, I was doing, you know, let's say, uh, comfortably paced cardiovascular workouts, slow stuff. I was doing maybe intensity that uh, relating to like upper body sessions in the gym. And then I'd go out there and sprint and blast my legs, but uh, it was really tough. So I said, what if I just approximated the challenge of what I was doing in these high intensity sprint and jumping sessions every day with a little sequence of moves that would, you know, challenge my hip flexors, try to mobilize them, get my hamstrings a little more uh, resilient to, you know, the, the stress of sprinting. So I just uh, developed some, you know, basic exercises and I started uh, doing the scissor kicks and the frog legs and the leg swings. And you can see, um, if you're really interested, you can look on YouTube to my original morning routine that was published in 2017. And then there's a new video uh, that uh, describes everything. You can see the whole thing done in fast motion in 52 seconds if you don't want to get bored by the description of every move. Uh, but today it's evolved into something that's pretty darn challenging. Uh, it actually takes quite a bit of time, uh, but because I kind of progressed in a steady and comfortable manner with the commitment, it's felt natural and easy to maintain. Uh, I don't recommend jumping into what I do every single day for someone that's not used to uh, starting their day and devoting this kind of time because you'd get sidetracked. It might feel too strenuous, whatever. But I built and built and built my commitment and my degree of difficulty slowly and steadily to the point where now uh, it frames my entire day. And I believe that it makes me more focused and disciplined against all other forms of stress and distraction in everyday life because I can reliably get up, not reach for my phone, which 84% of Americans do upon awakening. That's a recent survey from Adweek. Uh, and 46% of those 84% uh, are still in bed when they reach for their phone. So half of, you know, nearly half of us are in bed reaching for the phone and the behavior psychologists contend strongly that as soon as you reach for that phone, 
you transition your brain into this uh, dopamine triggering instant gratification reactivity mode rather than the more desirable thinking, strategic planning, reflective, you know, morning state where we're alert, we're energized, we haven't had the stress pile up of our busy day yet. And that's when we can ponder our gratitude journal or get our to-do list out. Or in, in my example here, do something advocating for your own health and fitness first thing before you get sidetracked by other responsibilities and exciting social media streams. Okay. So that's the, the, the key elements here are that I do it right away as soon as I awaken. And that secondly, I started small, started conservatively and built and built and built in a comfortable manner. And so what basically how it's turned out is that, uh, you know, you can see my first routine where I'm doing these, those, and that, and I'm done in 12 minutes. And then over time, uh, I'd see or think of a new workout, a new exercise, and I'd add it to the template. So it's also super important that it's the exact same thing that you do every day. So you don't need any creative energy and wonder what am I going to do next? Maybe I'll throw in some uh, upper body chest moves or maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. No, it's 40 of these, 20 of those, 15 of those each side, switch sides, turn around. And you know, I show you in the video uh, going from this to this to this, and you don't have to copy exactly what I'm doing. I have some great suggestions for anyone looking to you know, uh, overcome all the problems with sitting around all day and prepare for challenging workouts with these little stretches and sequences. But the, the point is that it's something you can count on. You can not have to devote a lot of um, brain energy to, and you just kind of do it automatically until it integrates into a habit, uh, just like brushing your teeth. So I don't think of this uh, morning sequence as, uh, it, it doesn't have to be fun. It doesn't have to be judged as hard or easy or medium. It's just it's something that I do without thinking about it. And that's been uh, a really nice um, feature that's, you know, really framed my day because now I'm a more focused, disciplined person. I can count on myself. And then hopefully, ideally, I would leverage this type of uh, discipline and dedication to all the other things that I'm working on, like, hey, uh, keeping my email inbox at bay when I'm trying to work on a book manuscript or what have you. Uh, but the other awesome feature of this is that it elevates the platform from which I launch these formal workouts because now every day I'm putting my hamstrings through a little bit of work. I'm working on my adductors. I'm working on my hip flexors. And so when I do step out to the track, it's not from the guy in the chair at the office. <laughs> like a lot of people are just heading out of the office and into a CrossFit session. And oh my gosh, I love the philosophy. I love the diversity of a CrossFit workout. Uh, but there is some you know, we got to think about this challenge where uh, we're not coming from the jungle into the CrossFit box. We're coming from a, a chair that's pinching our hip flexors at 90 degrees for hours and hours. And so um, that's where I contend maybe these workouts could tone down a little bit. We could sprinkle in micro workouts. We could throw in a, a morning energizing routine that's not, it's not too strenuous. It's not too challenging. It's not something that I'm going to uh, dread psychologically or physically. And so you have to find this sweet spot where you're comfortable doing it every single day. 
And when I say start small, it could be like, look, here's your thing. Leash up the dog, take one lap around the block and commit to doing that every single day as your first act. And then maybe when you finish, just like you describe, okay, maybe now it's walk around the block and you're going to do one set of uh, pull-ups or you know step-ups on the bench or something is going to add and that's going to be your template. And then your template's going to increase one more notch, one more notch, and then it's going to be tremendous momentum in the right direction. Wow. That's so cool, man. What a great um, habit that you create, like you said, that will make you more resilient and, and stronger for all those other tasks. That's amazing. I love how there's so much evolution in your thinking and how you've changed your opinion on so many of these things. One thing that really hasn't evolved that everybody knows to be true is that to be able to maintain a good, healthy lifestyle, you absolutely need to make sure that you're eating every two to three hours so that you don't, you don't wreck your metabolism. And that really hasn't changed. Is that right? <laughs> it, it depends who's saying it. Yeah. People, Especially if you're, uh, you're selling powders or energy bars or something that you say, need to chow down. People, yeah. people selling supplements and snacks. What's interesting, uh, on that note is the individuality is really rising to prominence to where you can't make a blanket statement saying, look, keto is the way to go. It's so healthy. Here's all the research and this is what you should do. Uh, because, uh, now as, as we get more refined and we learn, um, for some people, uh, for example, extended fasting, which is supposed to be the Holy grail of showing how badass you are. Um, maybe it's not as optimal as getting in, um, you know, a good nutritious breakfast first thing in the morning and, you know, not, uh, adding sort of this additional stressor, metabolic stressor to the picture of someone who's already stressing themselves with, you know, vigorous exercise, um, you know, we talk about in keto reset diet, females who have low body fat probably don't need the additional stress of fasting or carb restriction because look at them. They're already, uh, you know, metabolically healthy and able to burn fat well during their, you know, aggressive workouts or their long duration workouts. And so everyone's different. And I think the main fork in the road, I'm not going to, we're not going to discuss in this show, the 10 different, uh, approaches to, uh, ancestral eating, but I think there's, there is a big fork in the road, which is, uh, if you're carrying excess body fat, you probably have a different set sequence of decision-making parameters than someone who has a healthy body composition, uh, their blood values are all in line. And so their main goals are, let's say, peak performance, recovery, uh, longevity, what have you, uh, versus someone who, if you have to get that excess body fat off, then um, the you know, the, the approach is pretty, pretty reliable that you're going to want to uh, reduce your intake of refined carbohydrates. You're going to want to move more. Uh, you might be wanting to tone down your overall exercise caloric energy expenditure if it's excessive, or you might want to throw in some of these missing pieces, which in many cases are lack of high intensity exercise. I'm talking about the stairmaster person that goes to the gym five days a week yep. and climbs and climbs, but has never challenged their body to the point of muscles burning. And then there's the other folks that uh, might want to bail out with a fake phone call halfway through their CrossFit sessions, because that's going to actually contribute to their fat reduction goals because their appetite hormones and their metabolic parameters are going to regulate rather than being in this extreme, overly stressful exercise pattern, which we know is correlated with uh, eating too much food, whether it's eight hours later or 24 hours later or whatever. 
Well, I'm just so glad you wrote the book um, that you just did, Two Meals a Day, because this ridiculous notion that you have to eat frequent meals, you need to eat six times a day, you have to have your snacks between your meals, I, it's whatever like you choose is totally fine, but that notion that everybody needs to do that, that needs to just go away and die. And so I think it's really cool that you guys, you know, have written so many books about, you know, what to eat, and then maybe, you know, with fasting, it's like when, you know, when to eat, but also what you're talking about in this book is like how many times to eat and, and probably a lot less frequently than most people are. Is that correct? Oh, sure. I think we can, you know, present a book to the broad audience saying, hey, guess what? You know, two meals a day is probably a more sensible, uh, you know, template than the three meals a day, which is the cultural centerpiece. And guess what, people? That came from the Industrial Revolution when we went into, you know, factory life where we'd have to get some energy uh, first thing in the morning before going off to a day of hard toil and hard labor, hard physical labor. And of course, a midday break would be a great idea if you're pounding steel for eight hours. And so then there goes the lunch uh, whistle. And then of course you come home exhausted, tired, you are depleted of energy because you worked your butt off and you're going to have dinner. And that's where we got three meals a day. Um, we don't need that anymore. It's just like, uh, you know, sending children to school and, and forcing them to sit in a desk for six straight hours in the name of, uh, you know, education. Uh, now the kids are going out, uh, Katie Bowman's kids are going to outdoor school and I'm like, what's outdoor school? Right. Outdoor school is, they, they don't even have a, 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 an edifice. They just go and meet under the tree or they meet at the hiking trail. And, and it's not even a school. It's like, oh my gosh, that's an incredible, uh, and, and think how much a kid can learn when they're just out there experiencing nature. And of course they can grab a book and, and sit under the tree and read the book. But, you know, we got to expand our parameters of uh, what's normal in line with the progression of society. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the subtitle should have said um, two meals a day and no snacking because that's what we really want to zero in on is this constant grazing and those uh, notions that that's kind of the way to go uh, are, you know, framed in the carbohydrate dependency paradigm. And so actually a lot of that stuff's true. And a lot of the research out of, for example, the Gatorade Sports Science Institute is true and valid if you are a carbohydrate addicted human. And anyone can figure this out. If you go out there and, you know, run really hard for two hours and forget your energy gels, you're going to collapse on the side of the trail and you're going to wish you had that precious energy gel that costs $1.39 because as soon as you ingest it, you're going to feel great. You're going to have a boost of glucose in the bloodstream. You're going to be able to keep going. Uh, but all these ideas that we've been that pounded into our brain that are so important to have your snacks in your drawer and never be without your energy bar, um, they're because the human is stuck in this you know, grain-based, high-carbohydrate eating pattern combined with a high-carbohydrate training program where the workouts are too stressful, exhausting, and depleting. And so to escape... Um, this is, you know, kind of what the back to what the primal blueprint's all about is we uh, combine a lot of low level movement that doesn't stimulate appetite or drain glycogen. So we're moving around, we're burning a lot of fat throughout the day. Then we're challenging our muscles to maximum output on occasion for short duration explosive sessions. And then we're eating uh, nutrient dense foods. We talked about that protein to energy ratio, which I love that concept. I love the, the carnivore ish movement where you're emphasizing 
the world's most nutritious and satisfying foods and thereby consuming fewer calories to get the job done and to feel fantastic and to boost the nutrient quantity of your diet because there's nothing, you know, the, the oatmeal's gone and instead you have a bunch of eggs in the bowl. And it's just uh, pretty simple. I think it's doable and sustainable for everybody to just kind of de-emphasize the you know, the, the heavily processed high calorie foods and go for the nutritious nutrient dense foods that happen to be, um, you know, the, the foods that fueled human evolution for two and a half million years. So they're, they're highly validated as effective. I just, um, got done with a conversation where someone's physician said, well, you want to cut back on your eggs cause your cholesterol is too high. Oh, and it's like, I understand that, you know, this doctor is spouting information that's 40 to 50 years old now and that they have no further training or awareness of nutrition necessarily just because they're a physician. So the individual is compelled to look deeper and maybe go on Amazon and search for cholesterol books from uh, Dr. Seyfried or people that have done the, their life's work on this topic to say, look, guys, this is old and dated news and this is what the reality is. I love that so much. And I'm sitting next to a paper that has carnivore scores. And I would highly, highly, highly encourage the listener, go over to Brad's website and download this. This is a great resource for thinking about the quality of different foods and thinking about like where you should put these in those meals that you eat during the day. This is great. How did you have this idea to come up with this? Oh my gosh, I got to give credit to Kate Kretzender. Uh, my, my co-conspirator there. And she was just uh, mentioning offhand how she used this the basic framework of this concept with her clients. She's had great success in her own life uh, switching over to a meat-based diet because she had a lot of plant sensitivity and so have many of her clients. And so uh, that's kind of a separate issue, but um, people that have, you know, um, a sensitivity to these natural plant toxins and they exclude them from the diet, uh, have wonderful healing and, and progress that they didn't even know the kale salad was, was uh, making them hurt. And I'm one of those. Cause I used to make this wonderful, super nutrition green smoothie inspired by Dr. Rhonda Patrick and her stuffing down, you know, these piles of kale and celery and beets and carrots into a blender, blend them up and then stuff some more down and then stuff some more down. And so I'm like, Hey, that looks like, you know, way to get your greens every day. Uh, but every time I dosed myself with this wonderful uh, nutrition smoothie in the name of health, my stomach would bloat out and expand for several hours. And sometimes I'd have these transient sharp pains and then they'd go away. But I had a big uh, beer belly uh, after consuming the smoothie. And my other super athletic health conscious friend was kind of on board with me. He was making a similar product. And one day we were having a phone conversation and he said, oh yeah, you know, my stomach bloats out just, just like that. Exactly the same. Yeah. He goes, but you know what? It's so healthy that it's worth it. And his comment stopped me in my tracks because I thought, you know, if you're consuming something that's supposed to be healthy, it does not make any sense that it's going to blast your stomach out to where you're walking around with a bowling ball in pain until the, you know, the, the process subsides hours later. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And right around that time, you mentioned the date of um, April 19. That's funny because I think it was March of 19 that Ben Greenfield published his podcast with Paul Saladino. And those two guys, the brain power in, in that room um, is off the charts. But I really enjoyed how Paul was so convincing in you know, kind of changing Ben's 
tone to you know embrace this idea that all the plants and the concoctions that Ben talks about all the time uh, might not be necessary and might in fact be counterproductive in many ways. And so that was when I really uh, you know opened up to uh, the importance of. Uh, being open-minded and, and thinking critically and listening carefully to what Dr. Sean Baker and Dr. Paul Saladino and Amber O'Hearn and Michaela Peterson had to say, because there could be a lot of people suffering unknowingly from the by and large foods that are, you know, universally regarded as healthy, but might be causing little, little issues here and there. And so I too have made, I would say, a, a, a life altering lifelong transition uh, toward a animal-based diet and getting this carnivore scores chart out there was a way to share with everyone to say, look, you know, these are the most nutritious foods. I, I don't care if you're a, a, you know, extreme vegan who, you know, doesn't like this and doesn't like that. If you look at the nutritional profile of liver, it blows away the, the kale smoothie. It's just uh, factual, right? And so if you're talking about wanting to increase the nutrient density of your diet, as it happens, you're going to be emphasizing a lot of animal-based foods like the oily cold water fish, universally regarded as the best source of omega-3, right? We have the pasture-raised eggs with all those rich nutritions, the choline and the vitamin profile that you can't get anywhere else. And so you're going to be loading up on, uh, on this stuff. And by default, you're going to be drifting over into what you would call the carnivore-ish, animal-based, whatever. And then also on the chart, we have a nice presentation of the least offensive and most nutritious plant foods. Uh, in the case of you know people who want to have that varied diet and, and get their colors in, or they enjoy consuming uh, you know broccoli or sweet potatoes or things like that, but I think there's going to be the necessity to test and refine and see what works for you and see what stuff might be um, a little irritating or a little adverse circumstances for for you know not worth the benefit that they offer. Well, it is such a great resource in that world. I mean, it's it's so easy to look down and understand. You have just taken me down this like miserable and painful like set of memories around nutrition. Like I used to do those those smoothies every single morning, all the gels on the bike and like needing the naps and the crashes and all the meals and snacks. Man, like I would never go back to any of that stuff. It's weird to even remember back to it. <laughs> I'm curious to hear what are you working on for the future? You always seem to be busy working on something. Oh, thanks. Well, I'm uh, I'm so excited about this morning routine that I'm putting it into a um, ebook and and digital course, so I can help people step by step with a full immersion to to get this going and put it into your life. So that's kind of a fun project. And I'm also working with the folks at Primal Health Coach, and we're developing a fitness specific certification program. So there's the, the health coaching program that exists now. We have a lot of graduates and a lot of momentum there, uh, but there's so much to say about fitness. So for me, it's been really fun to do a deep immersion into the research and see what's popular out there and also kind of broaden uh, the perspective about fitness. Because when we think of a personal trainer and a fitness certified coach, you know, they're basically very good at uh, knowing how to work through the machines and do the deadlift properly and uh, maybe uh, you know, to train for a 10K or what have you. But, you know, that that concept of fitness needs to broaden such that we, you know, are fit for life. And we also understand the distinction between fitness and health, because I mean, some of the least healthy humans on the planet are the bodybuilders. I mean, that's widely regarded and, and acknowledged that these guys look good on stage, but they're, they're a wreck in so many ways. And, um, you know, fitness and health are 
not necessarily aligned. And I can say myself, when I was a pro triathlete, uh, my health was severely and extremely compromised for the duration of my career as a pro racer. And it almost had to be because we were pushing so hard. And then we're getting to the point where, you know, if I can do an Olympic distance race in an hour 48, that's moving pretty fast, but I want to do an hour 47. And so to go from an hour 48 to hour 47 requires, you know, a disregard for healthy, balanced living and an extreme, you know, almost obsessive approach to get one more inch out of my swim stroke and, you know, just, just push the limits every which way to the point where you're walking around exhausted except when it's time to go work out you know it's kind of kind of a funny a funny pattern and interestingly like now with the olympics we're seeing the the toll that it takes on these athletes to reach the very highest level uh on their mental health and we already know about the physical health but yeah it's you know it's asking a lot to, to go out there and perform at the elite level. And it has nothing, you know, nothing to support your health with, unless you really, you know, bend over backward to try to protect that as you're, as you're going for the gold. Mm, that is awesome. I'm definitely looking forward to that certification. I would love to participate in that. That'd be awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to tweak the second to last question that we normally ask. Uh, <laughs> since We've already asked it to you. And that would be, what is one thing you're grateful for? I think I'm, um, I'm grateful for what I feel like is um, maturity associated with aging, where I have a more uh, lighthearted perspective about life. And I think it makes me a better person. And I'm referencing back, you know, I was talking about my days as a competitive athlete. Uh, You know, I, I was really worked up about the whole scene. And it was very important to me. And I I wanted to win. I wanted to get recognition and all that stuff. When you look back now, it's so funny to 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 see, you know, how things were were life or death back at the back in the day and back at the time. And now it's just kind of, you know, it's just life experience. You can you can shrug and and laugh off of these things that were, you know, extremely dramatic to you at the time. And so there's some things about getting older aren't 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 fun. But I think some other things are really wonderful. And so I'm trying to appreciate those and not worry that, hey, I don't recover as fast as I used to in my 20s. At least I'm, you know, maybe appreciating the experience even more and just kind of um, really good at not attaching my self-esteem to the outcome of my competitive pursuits, whether it's trying to rise up in the, uh, in, in the world as a, as a, as a personality and a health expert and, you know, increase my income and my, my prominence and all these things that, you know, uh, kind of, uh, keep us up at night. Now it's like, you know, whatever, man, I'm, I'm trying to get over myself and stay that way for the rest of my life. Awesome. What a great answer and what a great way to end this conversation. Brad Kearns, I could talk to you for hours and hours and I know you'd have the energy and endurance to do it. Where would you like people to go to find you and find your work? (laughs) Thanks, man. It's great. You're a wonderful interviewer and I think we got into a good groove and I look forward to returning sometime. We'll we'll have a fresh new set of, of questions. Maybe your listeners will write in and go, what's this guy talking about? And then we'll be able to jump into some fun stuff. Yeah. Um, You can go look at my my brand new website. It's been so fun to redesign it. And I think it's um, pretty tight now. So bradkearns.com is looking good. You can download that chart. At the very top, there's a little banner that says download this free chart. And there's a lot of other free material, eBooks there, um, videos. You can look at my morning routine and follow the uh, the BRAD podcast. 
Awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. I do highly recommend the listener listen to your podcast and go to the website. The website does look amazing. You've done a great job. I'm going to close this one out by closing um, closing this out the way we did last time, which is to say you're wrong about everything. There's no science to any of this. But, but if you just look at you and your life and your energy and your passion and your gratitude and your willingness to share, you could be wrong about everything, but why would I not just want to do everything that you're doing to have the life that you have? And, and, and I definitely think you're right about everything anyway. So we're just really so grateful, <laughs> so grateful for you and for everything that you've done and the time you take to share your message and be so kind about it. And, and we're so grateful for you for appearing for the second time on the show. And yes, we will have another one whenever you are ready. So thank you very much. Thanks, Casey. It's been an absolute honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. <laughs>